0: Hi, welcome back. Today's sermon is Study Through Hebrews, Part 14. A Christ-Shaped Faith. We have done 13. And uh, I realized that, okay, with these changes, if I'm going to finish Hebrews, I'm gonna need to drag it into the weekends. So I'm going I'm to pick up with Hebrews with you. And it could be, I may... Start doubling up on the weekends. That is preaching different sermons on Saturday and Sunday. I may very well do that in order to finish this, um, but I'm not entirely certain. I will be away at least one more weekend between now and uh, Paul's arrival. And uh, on that weekend, Greg Humbles is going to preach. One of our newer, newer members. All right, you ready? Hebrews eleven, a Christ-shaped faith. I, the book of Hebrews, fantastic book. Uh, A very swift summary of the book. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know exactly to who were the recipients, but we derive from who wrote it that it was someone very close to the apostles. Some think it was one of the apostles. Uh, I think some of the best arguments are that it was actually Luke who wrote it, but we don't know that for sure. And uh, so it's one of the mysteries, but it's included in the biblical canon because it bears witness in every way with scriptural authority and power. It is a book that's written, clearly we we know that it's written to some people who are Jewish or people of the Hebrew faith. Uh, you can tell by the way it's written that the author is speaking to people who are in danger of returning to their Judaism instead of following Christ. And so he has a pretty strong outline in this book. The first couple of chapters speak about the superiority of Christ to uh, other messengers, angels, and the Torah. He's superior to the angels who delivered the Torah and the Torah. Then it speaks of his superiority to Moses and their inheritance of the land. It speaks to the superiority of uh, Jesus to the priesthood, even uh, likened to the priesthood of Melchizedek. It speaks of Jesus' superiority to their sacrificial system. So in every way, the writer is saying, hey, don't cash in. You're in a bull market. You need, to, you need to stay with this one. He is the one to whom the law and the prophets point. And there's warnings in the book, serious warnings. Every one of them Our warnings about departing from Christ and not having a salvation outside of Christ. So the whole of the book is an apology that is a defense of the faith in Jesus. And then it kind of comes to this climax in chapter 11 that you know of as the faith chapter. What it what it actually is is it's the chapter of the Bible where it tells the whole story of Israel from the perspective of faith. Why? Because the writer is saying uh, we are a people of faith. We've always been a people of faith, and keep your faith. So, what is faith? I'm glad you asked. What is faith? book of Hebrews gives a definition of faith and I'll give you an interpretation of the definition. Definition is a human response to a divine revelation. And in fact, without divine revelation, there can be no faith. Without you having your eyes opened to see and hear something from heaven, You can read the Bible. You can read Torah and not have revelation, not have eyes to see. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. So when I come to the book of Hebrews, I go, I I change it just a little bit because when you read it, here's what you find. Everyone in the book of Revelation, I mean in the book of Hebrews, saw something. They saw something. Their eyes were opened and that thing quickened a response inside of them and that response was transformative. Hallelujah. All right, let's pray. Lord, without your intervention, we won't see. Take the blinders off our eyes. Open our eyes to see today, Lord. Open our hearts. Lord, we need you. Wonder who's sitting here today, Lord, that is longing, maybe hurt, maybe angry, maybe afraid. All those things have happened to me in these days. And in the midst of those forces, Lord, if we don't see something greater than our fears, how shall we stand if we don't see something greater than our anger, how shall we be restrained? If we don't see something, Lord, greater than our pain, how shall we overcome it? But we are people of faith. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Hebrews starts with the faith of Abel. I always, get, I always love this because the first person in the Bible... That the Bible says had faith is Abel. It says it in Hebrews. So the faith of Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. That's the progress of the book up to the point where we are. Although uh, we're going to be, we're going to start with Moses today. So you could have gotten, uh, you could have gotten. Judah and you could have gotten Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You could have gotten the patriarchs in there, but each one of these. So here's the deal. What did they see? I don't know, but Abel saw something that made him bring an appropriate sacrifice. Enoch saw something that made him change his life and walk a different way the rest of his life. Noah saw something that made him build up, get on a project that would save the human race. Abraham saw something that caused him to leave his father's house and to leave his country and go to a land that he had never seen before. He went out not knowing where he was going. Sarah saw something that gave her the strength to conceive when she was yet barren and beyond childbearing age. Always, listen, this is the thing. What have you seen? What have you seen? Last night, I heard the story of another person committing apostasy. That is to say, a person who's an author and uh, uh, a significant long history of of walking with Jesus and, and, and being a leader, and he renounced his faith. It's been happening a lot lately. I told you it's one of the things that troubled me. I'm telling you about it and I got this smile on my face. It's troubling. It's the world we're living in today. And when I see it, I'm like, well, I understand because like when I stood up here last week and talked about my own pain, I said, you know, I was losing my faith. And some of you, and I went, no, not like you think. But listen, if your faith is derived from anything other than him. If your faith is rooted in anything other than a revelation of heaven, yeah, you lose it. I, every time I hear about somebody losing their faith, you know, because here's how they say it usually. I, I can no longer call myself a Christian. I want to go to them and I want to say, Did you, are you saying Jesus is not who he said he is? Is that what you're saying? I I tend to think they won't go that far. I tend to think it's coming out of the pain of the moment, out of the questions they can't answer. You bet I got questions that I can't answer. But the the one who has come to me is greater than the questions that dog my trail. And so this is Jesus, a Jesus-shaped faith. It says concerning these, all these died in faith, not having received the things promised. What? But look at it. But having seen them. Having seen them. So the life that we're living is probably going to be very much like that. Now look, the writer of Hebrews is going to make the argument that that those of us who, have, who are on this side of Jesus have a whole, you know, whole different basis for our faith. He's going to make that argument. But even those of us that are on this side of Jesus are dogged like these guys were by the, what my mamaw used to call the vicissitudes of life. They died without having seen the without having received the promises. But look, they saw them. When I saw Jesus and He came and changed me so dramatically, I was very confused by people for a while. I was very confused. I would think, well, didn't you see him? And so of say, well, have you seen Jesus? Not like that, not like you're thinking. But I always like to say clearer than that. I've seen him. And I just have to reflect because one day standing right up here, I saw the eyes of fire. Having seen them, all these eyes were and understand, they didn't have clarity about Jesus. They had clarity about a God who had put his hand on them and called them and said, Come. And they went. And they and they saw the promises. And and listen, and it says, and, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. The good news is you're not home yet. <laughs> there is more. Hallelujah. Now help me, Lord. Let's look at Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Um, whose faith? Whose faith? Well, you know from this that it was the faith of, of uh, father and mother, Amram and Jochebed. I remember memorizing those names in Old Testament studies my freshman year at Mississippi College. And I was just, I was just thinking this weekend, I probably hadn't said those words 10 times in 40 years. but by faith. Now, you say, well, where did they get that faith? Well, it's really interesting. It's really fantastic. Um, Josephus, the historian, one of the things that he does is he kind of writes commentary about the Bible. And in that, he says that Amram had a vision in the night. These things revealed to him in a vision, Amram on awaking disclosed to Jacob his wife and their fears were only more intensified by the prediction in the dream for it was not merely for a child that they were anxious but for that high felicity for which he was destined. So let me finish this reading here. By faith Moses when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents Because they saw that the child was beautiful. Hallelujah. Now, early on when you read the Bible, one of the things I like about the King James Bible is the poetry of it is such that when you're reading it, you know you have to get past the words, the way we read words. Because listen, has there ever been a child that didn't think their children, a parent that didn't think their children were beautiful? I mean, like I'm sitting down there and my my kids are full grown, not babies anymore. And they're up there and I'm like, wow. (laughs) Right? But it's more than that. There's another thing that happens when children are born. The eyes of your understanding are opened. Opened. And you see things that make you inquire of heaven. They saw that he was a beautiful child. That is to say, they saw something of his destiny. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. What did that mean? Well, Pharaoh at the time had grown threatened by this group that's growing in his midst, these uh, these Hebrews that are growing in such great numbers and he got threatened by them and he commanded the midwives that they should put to death the male babies when they were born. And if you read the text, it doesn't give you much detail, but it just tells you, yeah, that didn't work out. And so then he gave an order that they were, commanded them to throw them into the Nile, if you will, to the alligators, to the crocodiles, I guess it was. And Moses is born. And the parents saw. So what did they do? They devised a plan. What did they do? They made an ark, a little basket, covered it with pitch, made a little boat, put Moses in the basket, put him in the river. It looks like they connived for for him to be found by the household of Pharaoh. I don't know how they did it, but it kind of looks that way. And uh, even big sister hung out in the weeds and watched. And and a baby is found. You know, it's easier to kill babies in the abstract than the concrete. And even old Pharaoh's household, the heart got opened. They said, we got to keep this one. And a and, uh, big sister says, you want me to find you somebody to nurse your baby? <laughs> and Moses ends up being nursed by his own mama, taken care of by his own mama. We don't know what was put inside of him in those days, but something was put inside of him. And his identity was neither robbed from him by the Pharaoh's household, Uh, nor lost by him by growing up in a household not his own. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He said, nope, I'm one of those guys. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The Bible says, of sin for a season. Moses, you gotta understand this guy. Moses is like no other. Both parents from the house of Levi. A, A brother, Aaron, who will become high priest. A sister, Miriam, a prophet. Moses, though, we read in Deuteronomy, That since then, since Moses, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt. To Pharaoh and all his officials and to his his whole land for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. He was Israel's greatest prophet. God spoke to him directly. Sometimes somebody asked me about, what do you mean that face-to-face did God, somebody actually asked me this week, did God actually appear to him? Well, remember, this is the one who said, I want to see your face, God. And though when we read it, it's kind of like, did he answer his prayer? Did he not answer his prayer? Well, the Bible ultimately indicates that he had a communion with God that was such that it was considered face-to-face. Numbers says this. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face-to-face. Clearly and not in riddles. And listen, he sees the form of the Lord. (laughs) Come on, man. Greater than Moses is here. (laughs) So Moses grew up in a household of faith. Parents who could see beyond the moment. Moses becomes a man of faith, able to see beyond the moment. So when the moment comes for his decision, listen, if you want a revival in the Christian church, I'm going to tell you something. Forget about a revival of thrills and chills. How about we get a revival of moral decisions and integrity. How about we get a revival of people who say no to themselves? How about we get a revival of people who are not bound to the spirit of this age? You're in transition, New Life City. You're in transition. Boy, so am I. Katie Schmuir discerned it so well. And she came to me, I don't know, was it a week ago or two weeks ago? I don't know which. But you know, she's a doula. And she brought me a word about, a word about transition. Women know what transition is. People are all the time saying, I'm, we're in transition and most of the women are probably going, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> Transition is, is going through the hardest moment to get to the greatest glory. Hallelujah. She prophesied it over me. And I'm like, wait a minute. To be honest with you, all I can think about right now is, is, is what I'm saying no to and leaving behind. But everything that God is saying to me is said, no, no, no. You're still tomorrow's man. Well, why not? Why not? This, this will be someone else's tomorrow. But he hasn't abandoned me. Hallelujah. She prophesied that thing over me and 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 I was, you know, here's, here's the deal. Nobody when they're in transition wants to hear you talk. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, fellas, you know, that's the moment when your wife says things to you that she's always wanted to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, God, to add insult to injury, gave me a dream this week. This is awful. I'm about to tell you something awful. You leave the room if you're squeamish. I dreamed I was pregnant. Like, listen, not not pregnant, delivering. This dream was so awful that in the middle of the dream, I realized this is not right. Woke myself up embarrassed. (laughs) And encouraged. Encouraged. It's time to live, not die. Time to be born. But birth always comes out of death in God's economy. Moses was dead in the river, and God raised him up. Moses had a moment of saying, This is what God wants me to do, and he did it all wrong. This is why, it's Moses and Abraham are the reason you always say, I'm doing things in my own strength because we all see dead Egyptians in the sand (laughs) where Moses says, I'm gonna leave it a rebellion. And God says, no, it's not gonna be like that. He puts Moses in in the desert so he can get small enough again. So he can die again. And then God brings him out. Hallelujah. What a time. People are constantly. Misunderstanding God. We don't have any problem. Reading our Bible and saying they misunderstood God. But we do have a problem going. We misunderstood God. I think this is a moment. For the church of Jesus Christ. That has been. Living in some hopes of expectations for our nation to go, looks like we missed God. Maybe we ought to humble ourselves. Maybe we ought to get small again. Maybe we ought to brace ourselves for some hard times. Maybe we're going to end up in Egypt for a while. But God's okay. Listen, in our Bible, the the story's always, it's always okay. It's always okay. Don't, we, we can't fix what we did, but we gotta return to the plot. Who we are here now, choosing here now. Not anger and fear. Choosing to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses had it all. And all he could do was see his people and say, it's not okay. And yet, yeah, he made a big mess of it. But look how the Bible interprets his mess. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. Egypt for he was looking to the reward. Again, always Hebrews 11, always the revelation of seeing. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured seeing him who is invisible. (laughs) By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. All right, some stuff here that's so much fun. So look, so lots of questions. You get questions in your mind. I get questions. First question. He's considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. What? <laughs> Moses knew Christ? Okay. Now, there's two things happening in this text. One is we're getting hold of Moses, but the other is we're getting hold of the the writer of Hebrews and the people he's talking to. What is he doing? The writer of Hebrews is dealing with a people who are in danger of losing their faith. And he's encouraging them. He's giving them everything he's got with the superiority of Jesus. Now he's telling them that all their patriarchs had eyes on something else. And he puts Jesus in the story here. So, so the question, did Moses know Jesus? Well, okay. Two answers. First answer, we don't know. But we know the Bible says concerning Abraham, his predecessor and father, we know that Abraham is said to have rejoiced to see his day and saw it and was glad. And Moses knew more than Abraham. Moses had more revelation than Abraham. So first answer, possibilities. There's possibilities and they're fathomless, especially if you have a face-to-face relationship with God. And God's giving you instructions about Temple, tabernacle, uh, Ark of the Covenant, sacrifices. He's giving you all these revelations and you might be saying, what's all this mean? But more likely for our text is this fact. The writer has the full revelation of Jesus and sees Jesus bearing the reproach not exalting himself by raising an army on Palm Sunday that I just told you about, not seizing the moment of mobilizing the crowd, no, humbling himself, even unto death on the cross, and thereby being victorious. The one who tasted death for every man coming through death so that we might be raised to life. No, the writer is seeing, what the writer is doing is reading the story of Moses through Christ. And he's saying, hey, we've told you about Jesus. Moses was just like him. And in fact, when I preached Matthew to you, what did I tell you? I told you that Matthew was describing Jesus all the way through. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. In other words, we'll get through this because what's ahead is worth it. He's gonna go there fully before we get, but when we get to the end of this chapter. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured seeing him who was invisible. There you go, we're dealing with this again. By faith, he, listen to what it says, kept the Passover. Doesn't that language get you just a little bit? Wait a minute, Moses kept the Passover? I think the dude instituted it. <laughs> I mean, right? Whenever, whenever you do Passover today, he says you kept the Passover. <laughs> By faith, he instituted the Passover brought it to its fulfillment. Again, the writer is reflecting on their experience of Passover and he's reading through their history. So that the sprinkled blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. All right. One other reflection before I go on. Y'all okay? Okay. I was so proud of Paul last week for telling us he was going to land the plane. Because that is a metaphor that a, a, a few couple of years ago got forbidden at my house. My, my fan base, my family said, okay, dad, stop saying that. So, well, because I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so when Paul said it last weekend, they all looked at me. Like it was a sign. (laughs) When people read their Bibles nowadays, I want you to, this is an important little moment. It's an aside, but it's important. You know what they tell you nowadays? By today's sensibilities, people get offended when they read their Bibles exactly because of things like the death of the firstborn. They go, wait a minute, God did that? And I'm, there's a lot of writers and authors nowadays who try to read their Bible through Jesus enough so that they can somehow get God off the hook. Not me, dude. I ain't interested in it one bit. Why? Because I'm not serving a God that I judge. I'm serving a God that judges me. And I can look at this story and I can read it in an appropriate way. What do you mean? Well, how many warnings did God give them? How many miracles and signs and wonders did he do before he brought judgment? How often does the Bible speak about the long suffering of God, not willing that any should perish? How often do we read about delayed judgment in the Bible? No, the judgments of God are altogether just and right, tremble in his presence. That's where I'm at. And Christ rescues us out of them all. Hallelujah. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkled blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Hallelujah. Here endeth the lesson. <laughs> faith. Faith. Faith is, faith is like, the like, uh, Bible calls it a substance. Faith. What's happening right now? All I'm doing in my life is reflecting on the 18-year-old kid who heard about him. The 18-year-old kid who saw one person making moral choices that shocked him. 18-year-old kid Who, in a desperate way, cried out, and God heard him. Yeah, oh yeah. I ain't worried about the body politic. I do a lot of grousing about it. I do a lot of commenting on it. But in the end, I've read my Bible. In the end. I understand the history of the progress of the kingdom of God. And I know that it's the kingdom of God, not me and my national desires that matters. Lose my faith. Yes, I get very frustrated at people whose decisions don't seem congruent with the Christ who went to the cross. And then God says, yeah, that's you too. And I go, okay, my faith is not in me. It's not in them. But it's the one who the Bible says tasted death for every man. Moses kept the Passover. Now I'm going to say something that some people will be troubled by. Jesus made it redundant. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And Jesus left us not with the Passover celebration of a nation who got delivered from their slavery in Egypt, but of a meal to remember and renew our experience of a people who are delivered from their own slavery to sin. And so the Lord, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. You see, Jesus in the moment of the time for the Passover, he converted the Passover celebration. He converted the Passover into a story, not about the blood of a lamb and and a night of terrors, but about his own precious blood and a darkness that's destroyed. And so if you're here today, and you're not a Christian. What we're about to do will only make sense by faith. Because what we're about to do is to receive bread and a cup. And Jesus said, it's my body and it's my blood. In some churches, lots of churches, even this one, when people want to give their life to Christ, we say to them, repeat after me, and we say a prayer wherein they can humble themselves, confess their sin, and receive Jesus. But what God did was give us an experience where we can receive Jesus. Some people say, we wish you wouldn't talk, we wish you'd just give it to us, but I'm a, I'm, I'm a Protestant enough that the Protestant reformers said, "A meal without a message is superstition. Tell them what it is. The liturgies of the high churches tell you what it is. I reiterate today, this is the body of Christ. And the Bible says that he said, "Take and eat." It's given for you. And so, even someone who's here as a guest can, in this meal, experience and know Jesus and be made alive by his life a life that is manifested in the cup when he said, This is the new covenant. In my blood, which is shed for you. The mystery of mysteries is that Jesus dealt with the sins of the world, our sins, my sin. By becoming one of us and pouring out his blood in the suffering and agony of the cross. The blood of Christ, God's son, shed for us. This is the blood of Christ. Hi, thank you for listening to today's sermon, A Christ-Shaped Faith. For any more information, please visit our website at newlifecity.org. God bless, and see you later.